Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. I've been studying like crazy in this series, and I've been studying like crazy in particular for this message today. And, and I actually, last night, um, was just really wrestling with this. I was just wrestling. I went out for a drive for a bit, and, and I was still wrestling. I came home, and I was still wrestling. I went to sleep, and I still wrestled, and I woke up this morning, and I've just been struggling and wrestling with today. And I actually really believe that uh, one of the things that I was praying through this morning as I was driving and just kind of talking with God this morning, um, I recognized that it was actually fear that was actually sort of influencing me to want to put this aside and step on to something different. And I have a great deal of the fear of the Lord when it comes to this subject matter we are talking about today. There have been many wise men and women of God over the centuries that have devoted the lion's share of their life to this teaching. And I, in one sense, feel completely inadequate to cover it. But in another sense, we we also just have to realize where we are in our understanding of the scripture and the word, we need to understand that we'll never have a complete and exhaustive and and fully comprehensive understanding of what the word says. It's too big for us to understand. The last number of weeks, we've been talking about this person of the Holy Spirit, and, and we've been discovering that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a, not a force or an inanimate uh, object or, um, you know, a power, but the Holy Spirit is a person, and, and he's a person. He's part of the, the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is God. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the different things that the Holy Spirit does some of his primary functions like teaching and revealing truth, bringing conviction, leading us. And today we're gonna just, with humility, we're gonna step into a bigger subject. We're gonna step into this idea and this topic of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And as we do that, I just, again, want to preface this by saying, I'm stepping into the water just like you. And as I've been studying hour upon hour, studying completely contradictory perspectives of what Scripture says, trying to to find my way through this, I've just realized, God, there's more to this than I could possibly fully understand. But I believe that the Holy Spirit has a specific word that he wants to give us today. And so I want to start in this subject matter. I mentioned it last week, 
Can somebody, can you open that? I'm not going to try to do that with one hand. I've tried it before, but it doesn't work as good. Um, thank you. Last week, I mentioned that it seems to be that in, in Scripture, the Bible identifies three different baptisms. And we're going to talk very briefly about those. And again, I don't want to get bogged down in the weeds of of the nuances of doctrine and theology. I don't want to get bogged down in those weeds because I believe there's actually a message for us this morning that will bring you freedom and hope and liberation. Not just an intellectual assent in theology or your understanding of God, but a practical outpouring that will actually empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. So I'm going to cover this first bit really quickly, and then we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of things. The first uh, scripture I want to invite you to turn to is in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. We're going to look at the first baptism. And in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, it says, and I'm in the book of Acts, so that's why it doesn't say that. I was looking at that going, I don't remember that part of it. (laughs) Here we go. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Paul says, Paul is writing this, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized, okay, into the one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So the first baptism is a baptism that the Holy Spirit initiates into the body of Christ. Some people wonder, can the Holy Spirit baptize? Yes, he can, and he does. The Holy Spirit is the one that baptizes you into Christ. We covered a few weeks ago that it's the Holy Spirit's job to bring conviction to the world, to to bring us the conviction that we need God. And so it's the Holy Spirit's activity that brings people to the place in their life where they realize that they need Jesus. And so, yes, the Holy Spirit does baptize us into the body of Christ, into Jesus. The second one that I want to turn to is in Matthew 28. You can just flip back a few books. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Again, we're just kind of sailing through these. Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you to the ends always, even to the end of the age. So, second baptism is a baptism in water. And that baptism is performed by disciples. So the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. That's our relationship with Jesus. That's a baptism of repentance. That's a baptism into the body of Christ. And then disciples baptize us in water. And and the baptism in water is not just merely symbolic. 
It's not just pure symbolism. It's actually a cutting of the flesh. It's actually the, 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 um, the indication and, and the desire to say, God, I, you, I actually want you to be Lord over all of my life. It's actually a laying down of our old person, the old stuff. The Bible says the old is gone, the new has come. Baptism in water is part of the process of saying, God, I'm asking you to crucify, to immerse and crucify what was old in my life so that you can raise up something new in my life. So the Holy Spirit baptizes us in Christ. The disciples baptize in water. And number three, Matthew 3, verse 11 If you want to turn there, this is John the Baptist saying this. John the Baptist said, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay, so it's Jesus that baptizes us with or in the Holy Spirit. So three baptisms done by three different people for three different purposes. What I want to just say at the outset here, I'm not sure what your experience has been in church life or in your faith life. Um, my purpose here is not to get into an intellectual or theological debate of the nuances of the word baptism and how it's used. Baptism literally just comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse. It means to immerse, dip in, or underwater, overwhelm, flood, to be drenched. So when the Bible talks of baptism, that's the language that it's carried with. So when Jesus says that he baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, it literally means that he immerses us in the Holy Spirit. There's a phrase that some of you may or may not be familiar with, and that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The interesting thing about that is that phrase is never found in the Bible. The Bible never says that there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says that we're baptized in or with, but never of. The Bible never uses a noun to describe what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is with. It's always a verb. It's always active. It's always living and alive. And this is where we experience so much confusion, uh, depending on how you've grown up in your Christian life and, and what things have been like. You may have heard that term before and went, I don't even know what that means. The Bible specifically talks about a baptism in the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit, but not of the Holy Spirit. It's not a noun, it's not a thing. It's actually a person that we're immersed into. Some people who would argue um, that there is only one baptism often will quote Ephesians 4, verse 5. I just want you to turn there with me. Back to the right again. 
Ephesians 4, verse 5. It says, this is Paul writing again, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. So it seems to be a somewhat contradictory statement there. What is Paul really saying? And to be honest, I don't know the fullness of it. But I do know that Paul is talking about baptism in the context of the Godhead. And our Christian faith firmly establishes and believes that there is one God, but three persons. There's a triunity of God. There is oneness, but there's also Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in the same mysterious way, Paul is, I believe he's saying there's one baptism, but there's three different expressions of it. We're all baptized into one family and we have one head and his name is Jesus. But in the same way that there's a oneness and a threeness to God, a triunity to God, there's one baptism that finds expression three different ways. In 1 John 5, 7, and 8, it says this. So we have these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. The Bible clearly, throughout the course of it, from Genesis to Revelation, uses language like this to talk about the complexity of God. I just want to bring one more illustration into the picture to help kind of form a picture of what's talking about. Even in the Old Testament, we've seen and been discovering that the Holy Spirit is active in the Old Testament and that everything that God did in the Old Testament was done for a purpose. None of it was wasted. None of it was arbitrary. None of it was useless. And even in his instruction to Moses in building the tabernacle and then later on the temple, there was a form and a structure to that that I believe is part of the picture that God is painting of what we're talking about today. So I just want to show you the temple and the tabernacle specifically that Moses was commanded to build. There were three distinct components of that tabernacle. At the entrance of it was an altar and on that altar you would sacrifice a bull you would shed blood as you entered into the presence of God you came with an offering and the Bible says that it's the blood of Jesus the shed blood of Jesus that pays the remission for our sin. In the Old Testament, Jesus wasn't yet there. And so when they would come into the presence of God, they had to bring an offering and a sacrifice. And that first stage was this altar where they'd sacrifice a bull and shed his blood. The second one was a laver. After they had done that, they would wash their hands. There was a washing and a cleaning with water, a symbolism of baptism. And the third one that's there, which is not there because I didn't put it on there, 2.5, <laughs> number three, is actually they would anoint themselves with oil. And oil in the Old Testament and in the New Testament was representative 
for the Holy Spirit coming on a person. In the Old Testament, they used oil to anoint kings and they used oil to anoint great leaders and priests. And the oil was representative of the presence of God, his calling and his anointing. And so even back in the Old Testament, they had to to walk toward the presence of God in these three distinct ways. And I believe that in a similar fashion, Jesus is inviting us to approach his presence in these three ways. The first one is by repenting and turning from our sin. We talked about that a little bit last week. That's accepting that Jesus shed his blood for us for the forgiveness of our sin. The second one is water baptism. Putting the old person down and coming up new. And the third one is this baptism that John said Jesus would baptize us in the Holy Spirit. Turn with me now, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter 1. I don't want to spend a long time on, on the theology and the nuance. We could talk for days about that. But I, I, I feel like there's a point that God wants us to get to this morning. Acts chapter 1. So this is Luke writing the book of Acts. Luke also wrote the book of Luke. And so Luke is writing the book of Acts and he says, in my first book, that would have been the gospel of Luke, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Just want to stop there for a minute. Luke opens up this book in a, a little bit of a peculiar way. We've already been introduced to the life of Jesus through his gospel, but he takes a moment just to stop and pause and remind the reader that Jesus began something in his life, that Jesus began something on this earth. And Luke is saying that there's a bridge between what Jesus began and what is about to happen in the life of the church, that what Jesus began did not end with the ascension of Jesus into heaven, but what Jesus began will continue on after through the work of the Holy Spirit. I've been thinking a lot lately about the life of Jesus. And you may be wondering, well, what exactly did Jesus begin? What, what characterized his life? And if you have a notepad there, you want to take some notes. I, I have a few things that I just want to quickly get you to jot down. These are some of the things that most characterize Jesus' life. The first one was dependence on his Father, dependence on God through the counsel of the Holy Spirit. His time with God characterized his life. So often we're told that Jesus would, would, um, would go away to quiet places to be with God, to hear from God, to engage with God. His life was marked by a dependence on God through the voice and the counsel of the Holy Spirit that characterized Jesus' life. The next thing that characterized his life was the power and authority to proclaim the good news of his coming, the gospel. 
that the kingdom of heaven was here and at hand. When Jesus spoke, he spoke with power and authority. The next thing that characterized his life was healing. Wherever Jesus walked, he carried the healing power of God with him. The next thing were encounters with the kingdom of Satan. Wherever he walked, he encountered the kingdom of darkness. Not because he was out looking for it, but because of the power of God in his life, there was a collision that was always happening in the spiritual realm. He wasn't looking for the devil under every rock, but as he walked out the call of God on his life, it forced an engagement with the kingdom of darkness. And so Jesus walks in this incredible power and authority with healing, with deliverance, and in the preaching of the gospel. And the last thing that characterizes life was obedience to fulfill God's plan for his life. Jesus said that he only did what he saw his father doing and he only said and repeated what he heard his father speaking. His life was characterized by these supernatural events and occurrences. And as Luke opens up the book of Acts, Luke is saying, look, you remember what Jesus's life was like. You remember what happened as he did ministry, as he engaged with people. You remember the power of his words. You remember that he brought healing and hope and restoration. You remember that he was setting people free. You remember the power of this. He began it and it's not over. It didn't die in the first century. He started it, and now Luke is about to express to us how it's going to continue. If we read along here, I'm going to jump down to verse 4. Once when he, that's Jesus, was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus goes on to speak to his disciples. I want to jump to Luke, or sorry, Acts chapter 2. So Luke is setting up this whole book with a preface that says, Jesus began this. And the Holy Spirit is going to continue it. Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost, by the way, just means 50. The day of Pentecost was 50 days. 50 days after the resurrection. So Pentecost literally just means 50. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. We've talked about the fact that the Bible talks about and uses the imagery and language of breath 
or wind to talk about the activity and the person of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we were actually in the book of Exodus as we looked at the story of Israel fleeing Egypt and pressed up against the Red Sea with an enemy behind them and the Red Sea on the other side. They needed actually the breath, the wind of God to part that sea and give them a place. It's the same word that the Bible is using to describe the powerful acts of God right here. It's the activity of the Holy Spirit. Verse three, then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. Some translations say that that these tongues of fire split off. And there's actually this imagery when you get into the original language, there's this imagery that, that there was a unified presence of fire. And again, we can look to the Old Testament as the Spirit of God, as the Holy Spirit led Israel as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. There's this image happening this image happening where, where this presence of God, this Holy Spirit comes as fire and then separates. And that separation is so important because it's saying, look, this is not just for a select few people anymore. This isn't just for the nation of Israel. This is for every person. The presence of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. And it says that these tongues of fire rested on them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. What I want to center our time on today it's not the nuance of what it means to be baptized or baptized with or in the Holy Spirit. I, I, I feel like the, the, the thrust of New Testament writing is not around whether it's one event or multiple events. The thrust of the New Testament writing on this subject is this idea that we need to be continually filled with. After this incredible encounter at the beginning of the book of Acts, we see time after time the Holy Spirit coming and refilling, renewing the strength and power and effectiveness of the disciples. Not just that year, not just in two years, but five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 25 years down the road, we see the Holy Spirit coming and refilling. And this word filled literally means to fill a sponge. So I didn't get the ones that I wanted, but I, I got some sponges this morning. And I feel like when I read that description, something just resonated and clicked for me. Because I think if we're honest, a lot of us feel like this kind of sponge. And this is the kind of sponge that has no moisture in it. It's the kind of sponge that's dry. It's the kind of sponge that when you squeeze it, nothing happens. It's a kind of sponge that is not very useful in fulfilling its purpose. And I think if we're honest, a lot of us in our life feel dry and cracked and worn out. 
We feel a little bit like the sponge and are wondering, God, how do I squeeze the last drops of water out? I don't know where it's going to come from. But God, I'm just, I need something from you. I need something new and I need something fresh. And a lot of us live in lives filled with frustration and filled with disappointment. And there's so many things in our life that just take the, the moisture out of this sponge. And when the Bible says that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it literally means be filled and be being filled. It's a verb and it's a continuous action. That it didn't happen just one time when you decided to give your life to Jesus. That you were filled and didn't need anything more from God for the rest of your life. That it's actually an ongoing thing. And so the Bible says that we need to be filled and be being filled. And the, the imagery and the language used is literally like pouring water on a dry sponge and watching it spring to life. And the, the imagery that, that the New Testament writers want us to get is that it's, it's not that, that God wants to pour water on us and renew us and revive us so that we can sit in a bowl or on a countertop but he wants to pour water on us so that as we live life, as we do the things he's called us to, that that water, that life of God is flowing out of us. That that presence that is going in is, is going out. And the hope and the life and the courage and the freedom and the grace and the mercy that we so desperately need and that our families so desperately need and that our coworkers need would actually be the things that are flowing out of us. And as those things flow, Jesus said, ask me, ask me, and I'll fill you again. And so the Bible commands us to be filled and to be being filled all the time. And Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. He says, I'll pour living water on your life. I will pour out my spirit on you to revive you and bring wholeness and newness to your life. Not so that you can just keep it to yourself, but so that you can pour it out for the blessing and the benefit of others. So when the New Testament talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God being poured out on people, this is what it's talking about. And I really believe that, that we've, We've gotten caught and trapped in this, this mistake theologically believing that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a one-time thing and that it's an event that happened on a day in a calendar that we don't need to go back to. And so, so many of us have looked for this experience or this one-time event when Jesus is saying, look, I want to pour out my Holy Spirit on you to bring you new life every day. But in order to walk in that life, 
You have to walk in step with me. You have to depend on me. You have to invite me into your life. You have to invite me to speak to you and to lead you. You need to invite the counsel and the life of the Holy Spirit. So what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in the book of Acts? This guy named Peter gets up. And he becomes a totally different person. It says that while Jesus was going through the events of the torture and crucifixion, that Peter ran away in fear. It says that after Jesus was crucified, all of the disciples were scattered for fear. And even now, the disciples are meeting behind closed doors because they're afraid. They're afraid of the Jewish leaders. They're afraid of the Roman government. They're paralyzed by fear. And then the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes and Peter shoots up and he begins to preach boldly. And Peter quotes this, and I'm going to invite the worship team up. I want to leave you with this. In Peter's message, that was this evidence of this new powerful boldness. He quotes one of the minor prophets, Joel 2, verse 28. And look what he says. And I, I really believe that this is what God is saying to us today. So Peter quotes Joel and says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Why? Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord when he arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That prophecy from Joel was a prophetic statement to the nation of Israel to move out of brokenness and destruction into a life, not just of wholeness and restoration, but of life and power not just to exist and to coast. But what Joel is saying is literally, God is gonna rebuild your life. And he's not just gonna rebuild it so that you have just enough in the tank to make it. He's gonna rebuild it and then he's gonna pour out his spirit so that you can live a life of power and victory. So that you can live a life where, where the vision that God has given you comes to fruition, where you have new dreams and new vision and new life and new power. And this is what Jesus did when he poured out the Holy Spirit that day 2,000 years ago. He said, I wanna move you away from just existing 
I want to move you away from coasting along. I want to move you away from dryness and brokenness and just making it. But I want to move you to this place where my life is flowing through you, where my hope and my joy and my freedom and my forgiveness and my grace and my mercy is flowing through you. I want to move you to a place where you're getting a new vision for your future. And Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. As we close here today, as you hear this and as you are processing whatever's going on in your mind, If you've never actually asked Jesus to fill you with the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you with me to ask him. This isn't about being weird or weird things happening. This isn't about speaking in tongues or other things like that. It's not about that. This is about asking Jesus to fill us again today with his presence and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.